the indictment, the third, the fourth indictment of President Donald Trump actually makes total sense. It really does. In this bizarro country of ours, this totally backwards, upside down world we're living in, where they say it's okay to have drag queens in third grade classrooms hanging around with the kids. Yeah, this is the kind of society that would indict a president of the United States for raising genuine and legitimate questions about the election of 2020. Uh, folks, everything is crazy right now. For instance, you know what happened in Maui. Actually, I don't think anybody knows what happened in Maui. This was a forest fire. I, I'm sorry, I, I, it doesn't look like one to me. I noticed in the early stages of this disaster, no one was really, excuse me, talking about the cause. It was just, well, this horrible, horrible fire. But how did it start? Uh, power lines? There are a lot of strange patterns that people are noticing. I don't think we have the, the full story yet. But we do know this. The president who promised us empathy. That was the one thing that Joe Biden was supposed to be good at, right? Consoling people. Did you see how he reacted? The man has no soul. What's happening here? And then this morning on the way to the helicopter, Mr. President, care to talk about the situation in in Hawaii? No, he's got a he's got a helicopter to catch. What is going on? Remember what they told us about this guy that I mean, at one point, it seemed like he wanted to be the nation's funeral director. And that's what he was really cut out to be. Remember? We have a president elect who's all too familiar with personal pain, stepping up to be the consoler in chief. He really is somebody of unbelievable empathy. But to use your phrase, the uh, consoler in chief. You need a consoler in chief. Joe Biden's empathy is genuine. You can feel it. <laughs> right. So he's not good at that. What is he good at? What does he bring to the table? And the man who said his whole existence was going to be applied to unifying this country, the vacation addiction. We have a president-elect who's all too familiar with personal pain, stepping up to be the consoler-in-chief. He really is somebody of unbelievable empathy. But to use your phrase, the uh, consoler-in-chief. You need a consoler-in-chief. Joe Biden's empathy is genuine. You can feel it. See what we did there, Put, putting the, that sound under the bike ride, you know, my next door neighbor could handle this situation, the presidency, better than Joe Biden. I could, you could, he could, we all could. There is no excuse for this man to remain the president of the United States. I got, a, I got something else to say about this empathy thing. You know, I'm sorry, but George Floyd, remember him? Uh, look, I wish he didn't die that day. I also wish he didn't have all that fentanyl in his system that contributed to his death. I also wish that he hadn't had a panic attack and that the cops actually took mercy on him and put him on the ground because he was having that fit in the back seat of the police car. I wish a lot of things uh, weren't the way they are or were or whatever. But what Joe Biden did for this man and what he said today about Maui, it's unbelievable, the contrast. God be with you, George Floyd, and your family. And the words of a hymn from my church based on the 91st Psalm, may he raise you up on eagle's wings 
bear you on the breath of dawn and make you to shine like the sun and hold you in the palm of his hand. I mean, it's, uh, well, back in 2020, Joe was busy conning us, right? He wanted people to like him. Now he's got it. He could give a damn, it seems. Any person, any president certainly, would know what to do with a situation like Maui right now. It comes up kind of routinely. Natural disasters, if this was a natural disaster, any president can do it. The latest developments in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. As we flew here today, I also uh, asked the pilot to fly over the Gulf Coast region so I could see firsthand the scope and magnitude of the devastation. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I want to say a few words about Hurricane Irene, urge Americans to take it seriously, and provide an overview of our ongoing federal preparations for what's likely to be an extremely dangerous and costly storm. Uh, FEMA has been incredible. We're working very well with the governor and the other governors in surrounding states. Uh, I just got back. We had the cabinet, the whole cabinet out, and every group is coordinated really well. I mean, the bad news is that this is some big monster. This is presidential leadership 101, and just about every president knows what to do at a time like this. Joe Biden, though, Every time he has to be kind of cajoled into doing something, there has to be some sort of outrage online that he didn't do the right thing. And then finally, like today, mutters something at a speech and says, get this, everybody affected is going to get in that horrible apocalypse 700 bucks a piece, $700 a pop. How about that? So as you can see, in a Democrat-controlled America, Everything is backwards. One of the prosecutors going after Donald Trump is Letitia James. She proudly announced her indictment, which was a complete embarrassment. Uh, she knows nothing of what she's doing. She tried to talk about real estate, got everything wrong. Letitia James, state attorney general here in New York, actually in her spare time, hangs out at drag shows with children. Yep, there are the adult drag queens. There are the kids. There's Letitia James. Uh, and she's not an outlier. This is the policy of the Democrat Party. This is the policy of Joe Biden. I said last year, especially to our younger transgender Americans, I'll always have your back as your president so you can be yourself and reach your God-given potential. You know, look in the Constitution. He's talking about stuff that is way outside his job description, talking about children and their gender. That is not his place. But make no mistake, what he's talking about that is the federal government supporting lunatics like Leah Thomas getting in that pool. So in this country at this moment, nothing makes sense. And the indictment does make sense that in a country that doesn't make sense that they would submit this thing. Look, the indictment itself is a farce. Alan Dershowitz told us everything we needed to know about this thing. It is uh, a joke. It's ludicrous. It's not worth the paper it's written on. If you've been watching cable TV, if you've been watching Newsmax, you probably know all about the indictment. But I'm going to focus on two things that I find most amusing. Uh, look at this. One of the counts is that Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis placed a telephone call to the Speaker of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, Brian Cutler, and they left a voicemail message. 
they left him a voicemail message. That's the crime. And fascinatingly, we have that voicemail message. Mr. Speaker, this is Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis. We're calling you together because we'd like to discuss, obviously, the election. Hello, Mr. Speaker. Uh, this is Jenna Ellis, and I'm here with Mayor uh, Giuliani. Hey, Brian, it's Rudy. I really have something important to call to your attention that I think really changes things. That's it. They, they never say anything of substance on the, on, the, on the voicemails. Just call me back. The guy is not calling him back. Uh, every time he picks up the phone and calls this guy and leaves a message, they charge Rudy with a crime. Can you believe that? Uh, I, I guess he would have been charged with fewer crimes if the guy at least called back and said, not interested, try somebody else. He could have texted Rudy Giuliani, but instead he just made him keep calling. I understand that you don't want to talk to me now. But I just want to bring some facts to your attention and talk to you as a fellow Republican. Well, remember how the media, they were bad-mouthing Rudy Giuliani uh, so aggressively, so unfairly. Maybe the speaker of, of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, was believing all this stuff. And this guy, he's another one of those heroes. Just ask him. Now, listen to the sacrifice and the ordeal he had to go through during this time. All of my personal information was doxed online. Uh, it was my personal email, my personal cell phone, my home phone number. Uh, in fact, we had to disconnect our home phone for about three days because it would ring all hours of the night and would fill up with messages. Guy really loves his constituents, huh? His home phone. That We used to have phone books. Everybody's number was in the phone book. Who has a landline anymore? This guy's crying about that. And they're actually making him out to be a victim of intimidation somehow. Voicemails. People protesting outside of his house. You're the speaker, pal. I mean, this is the life you've chosen. People are allowed to protest, right? Until recently, apparently. Also, remember this person? This turned my life upside down. Um, I no longer give out my business card. I don't transfer calls. I um, don't want anyone knowing my name. I don't want to go anywhere with my mom because she might yell my name out over the grocery aisle or something. I don't go to the grocery store at all. I haven't been anywhere um, at all. Except the nationally televised congressional hearing. Getting on an airplane, going through all that stuff, getting on television. You get the sense that she's over-dramatizing her situation. I think any reasonable person would. Nobody remembers her name anymore or that of her mother. But throughout this indictment, guess what? People, uh, she had a job with the county. People wanted to talk to her. And what happened? Somebody spoke to her neighbor. Somebody knocked on her door. This is... Uh, uh, Ruby Freeman, the mother, right, uh, to assist with his effort to speak to Ruby Freeman. You know, they criminalize trying to talk to somebody. These are county workers. They work for the people. We're allowed to engage them. They're not in a special class. I think it's a deep state thing or a wannabe deep state thing. You can't talk to us. The people can't have access to us. All right. So nothing makes sense. Especially this, that fight in Montgomery. Now, it seems like ancient history 
at this point. It's last week. A week ago last weekend. Now, I don't like a fight. I don't like any fight. Um, and the guy in the show, I'll just cut to the chase here. The white guy threw the first punch and all the other guys jump in and it doesn't look good and it's not good. I don't like rumbles. I don't want fights. I don't want there to be violence. But every weekend in America, there are, I don't know, maybe a thousand fights, two thousand fights. I don't know the number, but there are a lot of fights. And sometimes there are five against one, two against one, ten against one. It happens. It's unfortunate, but it happens. But the media, they pick this one. Why? Because the assailants were white and what looked like the victim was black. And they can exploit that. Montgomery Mayor Stephen Reed is calling for justice to be served for attacking a man who was doing his job. The dock worker in Alabama attacked while doing his job. To see these people, this man doing his job, being assaulted. All right. Now, that's Al Sharpton, and that's the fake news. I kind of expect that from the fake news. But we want a little bit more from Fox News, right? Fair and balanced and unafraid. Fox News was founded, started to be different, to not follow the mass media mob. Look at what they did. The mayor of Montgomery says the riverboat crew member who was attacked was just doing his job, and he's vowing that justice will be served. We're hoping to get an update here in about two hours from the city. Julie? Good, and it should. That's disgusting. Wow. All right. So Fox News doing what everybody else in the media did. The drive-by media, as Rush used to call them. Well, if you do like 10 minutes of extra work, you'd see a lot of things in that video that no one is reporting on. And I mean no one. Look at what I found. So you probably saw this part of the fight. It's about <laughs> lots going on there. Violence. We hate it. Now, I want you to look to the left. We circled it. On that ramp, there was a woman in a white dress. She just came upon this thing. She's late to the party. She's going to try to break up a fight. Watch what happens to her. Looks like she's trying to break it up. Watch. Pulled away. You see this? She was punched, kicked, her hair pulled, and thrown in the river. And nobody cares. Why not? Because the assailants were black and the victim was white. And notice the individual with the white hair. I'm not sure of the gender, actually, because you're going to see this person again. Next clip, please. See the woman in the red dress? She's about to get beaten to a pulp. Have you seen this yet? For some reason, it's not shown on TV very much. Now, she finally makes it to her, her feet. Um, she was kicked by two black women, punched severely by two black women. What happens next? Remember our blonde friend? Yep, and there's the chair in the head. And a few more punches for good measure. And maybe she was just doing her job. What's going on here? Uh, why are we hearing about this part of the story? And is anyone looking for this individual? I don't think so. So far, there have been um, 
a couple of arrests, but not of him. I want to show you one more thing because they do actually apprehend the guy momentarily who used the chair over the head. Watch this. <laughs> Saw the chair over the head. Look at those two police officers. They saw it and they grabbed that individual. And actually they put cuffs on him right away. And somehow he's let go later because they have to ask this guy to turn himself in. Man who swung chair during Montgomery brawl turns himself in. But I just saw him under arrest. What happened? Reggie Ray, 42, was charged with disorderly conduct. He has become a hero to many in this country. A GoFundMe account has been set up. It's raised nearly $300,000 for his legal expenses. He's only been charged with disorderly conduct. Not assault, not attempted murder. And that's what it looks like to me. And as far as the blonde-haired guy goes, who uh, nobody seems to care about him, I have a feeling race has something to do with it. What do you think? All right. So everything is kind of crazy in America, isn't it? And here's something that's crazy that I love. The indictment, the insanity that they're putting Donald Trump through. The Democrats have to be panicking because it's not working. At this point last year, they had a plan to indict him 15 times. They thought it would hurt him in the polls. They thought that he could not possibly carry on as a candidate. This one came out today, 57 points up. Incredible. God sees everything, and God is ultimately in control. And I think he's going to guide this country through this insanity. We'll be right back. So Mike Pence is basically nowhere in the polls, and here's a big reason why. I don't like the fake news, but when he's asked a direct question, he refuses to answer it. Watch. You're, you're very careful in what you talk about, whether Donald Trump's a nominee, whether you can support him again. If, he vi if you thought he violated the Constitution, how can you support Donald Trump again for president? Well, well uh, Chuck, what I've said is I'm happy to meet the criteria uh, for the upcoming Republican presidential debates. I'm incredibly proud that more than 40,000 Americans in just nine weeks have uh, supported our campaign, made it possible for us to qualify. You see what I mean? Stage and, uh, <laughs> he was asked if he could support Donald Trump after accusing him of violating the Constitution. And all he does is talk about all the donors he has and how excited he is to make the debate. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't cut it. We can all see the question. And what is your problem with President Trump? Huh? I mean... <laughs> How about MAGA? What's your problem with Make America Great Again? He seems to have one. Watch the question and watch the answer. Do you consider yourself a MAGA Republican? I'm incredibly proud of what we did in the Trump-Pence administration for four years, and uh, you better believe it. In those four years, uh, after after eight years of the slowest recovery since the Great Depression, eight years of an, under Barack Obama and Joe Biden that saw military— yeah, Are you MAGA or what? Military, eight years of liberals on our courts— uh, under the Trump-Pence administration MAGA. with yes the or no. MAGA Americans, we, we, we literally did make America great again. Do you feel again like you're a MAGA Republican that, or not? Before that pandemic struck. And 
Look, I, look, I, I'm a Christian, a conservative, and a Republican in that order. I've always said that. All right, yeah. you know People what? Know yeah. know <laughs> he's values. a few more things than that, all right? He's a Hoosier. He's a Indianian or whatever. I mean, you can't say MAGA. I think he's ineligible. Sorry, but this has been a huge disaster for him. One more question from This is just the question part. Take a look. In your book, you said this. I asked her a direct question referring to the Senate parliamentarian. Are there any alternate electors from any state? She told me there were not. I mentioned that I had heard that some alternate electors had been sent from several of the disputed states. So this was on January 3rd. Um, what can you tell us about what you knew about this elector scheme on January 3rd that prompted you to ask this question? All right. So he's not going to answer the question. <laughs> he never does that. So. Forget that. But I will show you the answer to the question in his book that he doesn't want to talk about. He says something that's very important in the book. It's important that everybody knows this, but he either, well, he doesn't want anybody else to know it. Listen. I met with the parliamentarian of the Senate, Elizabeth McDonough, to discuss the procedures for the upcoming joint session on January 6th. She told me that Congress always receives miscellaneous slates of electors every four years. Congress always receives miscellaneous. That's huge. And that's a game changer in terms of information. And it really turns upside down everything the Democrats had said about January 6th and this latest indictment, the latest federal indictment. We'll be right back. You know, everybody's reporting the same stories, the same spin. You turn the channel, it's always the same. But not us. We're different. We report the real news. No spin, just the facts. Turn to us and you won't turn back. Tune in to Rob Schmidt tonight on Newsmax. That is Laura Trump and her husband, Eric Trump. And I believe, yeah, Air Force One in the background. She is the daughter-in-law of the president of the United States. Here's another picture hanging out in the White House. And she is the not-so-secret weapon of the Trump campaign. Have you ever seen her when she takes on the fake news? Uh, there's absolutely nothing like it. No comparison in the universe. I mean it. She slays them. She takes them down like you've never seen before. Laura Trump, we're going to actually play some highlights. I, I, I think you got to get back on those Sunday shows and straighten them all out. Welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? Well, thank you. What an intro. Gosh, I'll come back every night, Greg, if this is what I'm going to get. Thank well, you so much. It's from the heart. And uh, however, I am so sorry under these circumstances, although let's face it, I mean, it's kind of become a joke, these indictments. Uh, I know it's serious, but it is also kind of ludicrous. What do you guys, how do you process this? Yeah, well, I mean, you heard from my father-in-law, what, two weeks ago, he said one more indictment to ensure that I win the 2024 presidential election. And of course, here we are. So I think you kind of have to take these things in stride because, Greg, we all know the truth. You know, that's the problem here. We all knew the truth in 2016 whenever Donald Trump won the election and they came out with the Russia collusion hoax. And we all looked at each other and said, Russia collusion? What are they talking about? So we knew the truth there. Obviously, we had to wait that one out and get the real answers. But, you know, we know that he has done nothing wrong. And I think the American people know, by and large, he has done nothing wrong here. And so, yeah, it's a bit of a joke, but it's actually kind of terrifying. Whenever you look at the precedent that this sets, whenever you realize that here we are in 2023 in the United States of America, 
And you see these sort of communist third world tactics, you know, being employed right now to take down a political opponent. Um, it's rather terrifying to see. But look, in our family, we're um, we have faith because we know the truth and we know that at the end of the day, uh, the truth will ultimately be shown. And we just have to have faith in the whole process. Have prosecutors or assistant prosecutors or government investigators hassled you in any way? I mean, you know, I have seen I, th I think Eric's had to testify. Donald Trump Jr. has had to testify. Have they given you a hard time? Well, they haven't. And it's really interesting because especially whenever you look at January 6th, heck, why don't you read out some of my text messages to pretty much anyone that day, the days following, the weeks and months following. Uh, you know what, Greg? It would exonerate all of us. It would make it very clear that no one in our family planned to overthrow and overturn an election in any way that none of us planned the January 6th situation. Um, but it's, it's of course, very convenient. No, they haven't called me to, to testify in any way. Maybe I should be grateful for that. Uh, but I think it, it might clear up quite a bit if they, uh, if they decided to check some of my test, text messages. Well, they have to make January 6th to be the worst thing ever imaginable. And they yes. do that to make it somehow that they have the moral high ground, which they don't. They have to lie about January 6th to set the groundwork to do what they're doing. Uh, but I do want to show how you are actually pretty amazing. You've taken on Chris Wallace, I think Stephanopoulos, all of the uh, heavyweights, but this is one of my favorites. You with Jake Tapper, and uh, you make an observation about Joe Biden, and he just won't have it. But, uh, well, we'll let the viewer figure out who's right. Take a look. I think what we see on stage with Joe Biden, Jake, is very clearly a cognitive decline. Okay. That's what I'm referring to. It makes me uncomfortable. You have, you have to no absolutely. You have, on stage it's, I can't, this is so amazing. It's so amazing to me and, that, and, that. And try and figure out an answer. A cognitive decline. Well, when you're trying you, to tell you, me that what I was suggesting was. I think that you were mocking his stutter. Yeah, I think you were mocking his stutter. And I think you have absolutely no standing to diagnose wow. somebody's cognitive decline. The whole country has now diagnosed this cognitive decline. Um, and you're just speaking the truth, and these people know it. It's, uh, it's kind of wild to look back at that, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'm still waiting for my apology from Jake Tapper for that one, because, man, that cognitive decline, yeah, it is uh, bright as daylight. Everybody can see it. What a mess it has gotten our country into. What a weakened state we are in now because the entire world not just us here in America, Greg, can see that. Really obvious. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is what they do over in the fake news, the mainstream media. They are covering up every single day for folks on the left. And it's not just Joe Biden. Look at Hillary Clinton. Look at the whole lot of them. Nothing for some reason ever comes to light when it when it's about those folks. But whenever it's Donald Trump, the walls are closing in every day. Yeah. I mean, honestly, how many times did we hear the same thing over and over again when it referred to Russia? Right. It is amazing to see these people. And some of them are still on TV and some of them still have shows. Wow. I got one more. Uh, when you rightly accuse the Bidens of receiving money from China, even Hunter Biden has admitted now that he received money from China. Take a look. Thank goodness we didn't have Joe Biden in the White House because he called it xenophobic. We know that he would have been very soft. No, he would didn't. have been politically correct. That would have never happened. Absolutely, he did, Jake. No, he didn't. He said it in a tweet. He, he called referred it xenophobic. He referred to the president. I, okay. I have, I have looked it up. He referred to the president's long Jake. history of xenophobia and racism. Okay. He did not call the partial travel bans from China and Europe. Politically correct.
soft Joe Biden would have shut down travel to China, especially now we know, we know it's been very lucrative for Joe Biden and his family, China. This president has done everything every step of the way. I don't, I don't know what that means. It was a novel virus. That we had never know seen what before. That we means? had to create testing. <laughs> the whole world knows what it means. He got uh, three million. The House Oversight Committee has confirmed it. Anyway, you're right. He's still on TV, as pompous and full of himself as ever, and as arrogant as ever. That's the thing about the fake news. They think they know better, but they really know nothing. Yeah, well, because no one calls them on it, and thank goodness, Greg. We have people like you out there who are actually reminding them of these things. Yes, that was three years ago, and now we know it is 100% true that the Biden family indeed took money from communist China, and it wasn't just Hunter and Joe. Apparently, the whole group of them got it, all the way down to Joe's grandkids, his nieces and nephews. I mean, my goodness. But you know what? These folks, uh, unfortunately, they might be peddling these lies and they might be covering it up. But I think, unfortunately for them, the American people are smarter than that. And thank goodness they are. They are starting to realize that they have been sold a false bill of goods by these people for far too long. I think that's why people are ready for this election in 2024. They may have made a mistake in, in 2020 and thought that they were voting for the decent guy, Joe Biden, who's got crack in the cocaine in the White House, a crack smoking son, topless people on the White House lawn. But now they can see how detrimental that was to our country, and they're ready to vote for Donald Trump. Uh, they would love to see the Trumps back in the White House. Uh, stay tuned. Laura Trump. Hey, check out the Right View podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Great stuff. Thank you, Laura. Best of the family. Thank you. You're the best, Greg. I appreciate it. See you later. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. You're on the go and need news now. No paywalls, no cable subscriptions. Just download the Newsmax app from your smartphone store. It's free. And watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. Two years ago this month, the chaos in Afghanistan during that catastrophic withdrawal. We essentially lost the war. So much money spent, so many lives lost, especially those 13. Two years ago this month, those 13 Marines and a sailor. It did not have to be this way. Oh, and Mr. Empathy, Joe Biden, never forget his behavior at the dignified transfer ceremony. Afghanistan is now in the hands of the Taliban. Do you think this ever would have happened under the administration of Donald Trump? Imagine if he and his national security team uh, were still in office at that time. I don't think it would have happened. But right now we're going to get some expert opinion by a man who's sitting at that table. That is Robert O'Brien, former national security advisor from 2019 to 2021 for President Trump. Mr. O'Brien, welcome to Newsmax. Thanks for being here. How are you? Great to be with you, Greg. Thank you. So what are your thoughts looking back two years later? Uh, it seems to me it was so avoidable, but I know you were involved in the negotiations to get us out of Afghanistan. It didn't have to happen like this. What are you thinking tonight as you look back? No, I'm heartbroken looking back, Greg, because the, that catastrophic withdrawal is being used by the Chinese to tell the Taiwanese people that uh, America won't stand by their allies. There's a direct link between the, the catastrophic withdrawal and, and Vladimir Putin believing that we were weak and he could invade Ukraine and the, 
the thousands and tens of thousands of people being killed in Ukraine. And there are still Americans and our allies left behind, interpreters and special forces and folks that worked with us during those years. And I was there during the Bush administration, part of the Obama administration, the Trump administration. And we're watching now the video of the, the people running alongside that uh, C-17 trying to get on board. And it just breaks your heart. It sure does. It sure does. Um, can I ask you, Joe Biden, it seems to me that he lacked integrity during a lot of this. Uh, he was lying. He was caught lying to multiple people, to President Ghani. Uh, I think he lied to the American people when he said this just a, a few months prior to uh, what happened later that summer. The Taliban is not the, South, the North Vietnamese army. They're not, they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It is not at all comfortable. Why did he say that? Did he have reason to say that or was he misleading everybody? Well, who are he's misinformed? I mean, I, I just feel bad for President Biden in that situation. He obviously had no idea what was going on. When we left on January 20th, Greg, remember, we had 2,500 U.S. troops there working counterterrorism. We had our Afghan allies uh, that we were supplying with the weapons and ammunition they needed. We had 5,000 NATO troops. So for the first time in the Afghan war, we had twice as many European and NATO troops in, in country as we had American troops. And so we had burden sharing going on. And that was all a result of President Trump you know, making sure that our allies did their fair share. And, and so Afghanistan was, look, at war, but it was relatively safe and peaceful. We had Bagram Air Base, which if we'd never given that up, we wouldn't have had the catastrophe that we had at uh, Hamid Karzai Airport when we lost our, our soldiers and Marine, uh, which, you know, the, I look at that dignified transfer photo that you, you showed, and I, I had to go to Dover many times as a national security advisor, both with President Trump and to represent President Trump, and, and how heartbreaking it was for me to be with those families Sure. as they had to bring their loved ones home in a, in a casket. And I can only imagine how they felt knowing that their, their loved ones died in such uh, unfortunate circumstances because we'd given, up, we'd given up Bagram Air Base where we could have done a very effective and safe evacuation of, our, of Americans and our allies. So just a total, you know, as a mil in the military, I was a, used to be an Army officer, we'd call that a cluster. Yeah. And it was uh, just an unfortunate series of events and, and Americans died who shouldn't have. Mr. O'Brien, um, I have a feeling you'll be back in uh, an important role in federal government someday, maybe working for President Trump, I hope. I'd like to show you a compilation of various military officers over a period of several years giving their assessments about Afghanistan and Iraq. Take a look. I think uh, that the development of the Afghan army is on a very good path right now. We, we've made tremendous strides incredible progress in the last 20 months. The solid partnership has been the thing that has been really striking for me all around the country. It's fair to ask if we're winning in Afghanistan. I believe the answer is yes, and several facts allow me to say that with confidence. And we've seen some great, great uh, progress in some of the operations based even at the tactical level on the intelligence uh, structure. They showed me the positive changes they have helped bring about, the villages they can now enter, the, the Afghan police and forces they are training and trying to improve. So the military always has this can-do attitude, but I think when generals uh, get to be generals, they sometimes, um, well, I think they believe their own hype. I don't know. I, 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 that, that breaks my heart. Uh, they were either lying to themselves or lying to the American people or a little bit of both. 
And I'm sure you're kind of aware of that, and I think you should be on guard against it because our military, in many ways, we love it, but it's lost right now. Well, as long as we were there, the Afghans were willing to fight, and we were supplying them, and they had what they needed, the support they needed. And it didn't, it didn't take a lot of U.S. troops there. President Trump said, we're going to end the forever wars. And we had to deal with the Taliban, that we were going to uh, have them negotiate with the Afghan government. They were going to have a government of national unity. And then we're going to use that government of national unity to fight ISIS-K and al-Qaeda. And we're going to keep counterterrorism forces there, and our allies were going to keep counterterrorism forces there and, and give them the backbone they needed to take on the terrorists. And unfortunately, all that, all that planning and all that uh, work had gone out the window with the, with the way that the withdrawal was undertaken. And it was uh, just a, a disaster for American foreign policy, not just in Afghanistan, but around the world. People started wondering, can we trust the United States? Can we trust this word? Will they be there if we need them? And that's a dangerous place for us to be, and it's a dangerous place for our allies to be. As we go to, uh, as we conclude this segment, I'd like to take a look at that national security. I, I, I guess this is a situation room with President Trump at the, at the end of the table, and uh, you're, you're his right-hand right man, one of them. If you can, in about 20 seconds, what is it like in that room when you've got some real weighty national security crisis in progress? Well, that, that photo was taken the night that we brought Justice Abu Bakir al-Baghdadi, the founder of ISIS, who killed Americans, Stephen Saloff and uh, Peter Kasich and Kayla Mueller and James Foley. Mm. And so uh, Baghdadi had uh, died like a coward that he was. And American Special Forces performed brilliantly that night uh, to bring justice to someone who killed Americans, but thousands of other uh, Arabs and Christians in the, in the region. And uh, that was a, an important night for American national security. And it was an honor to be there with the president and the vice president and our military leaders. Mr. O'Brien, thank you so much for being here. Good luck in the future, and let's see what happens. Great to be with you, Greg. Thank you. You bet. We'll be right back. Well, two of the smartest guys we know on just about everything. Mark Simone from iHeartRadio and Dick Morris, the presidential advisor and author of The Return, Trump's big 2024 comeback. Everything in that book was correct. Dick Morris, you said yesterday you think Trump is going to jail. I hope you're wrong. Anyway, I'm sorry we're so short on time. What's your big thought tonight, Dick? I think that these are stacked juries in both D.C. and in Fulton County. And I think they will result in a conviction. I think the appeals will be to largely Democratic circuit courts. They'll be reversed in the Supreme Court, but it may not be in time for the election. And I said, think that Americans are still going to vote for Trump. I think he will be reelected. And even if he has to campaign from jail, I think he's going to get a majority of the American people. Going to jail. Listen, we gotta we gotta get out of these trials somehow. We can go to the Supreme Court. We can uh, we can d delay it somehow until 2025. Mark, what do you think? I don't know. Dick's usually right. I hate to say it, but uh, he knows that part of the country and how this works. Uh, I, I just hope he doesn't. Uh, I, I think what you're seeing here is the real them. I don't mean the Democratic voters, but Democratic leaders. They're not there for clean water and clean air. They're Stalinists at heart. This is the real them unleashed, this ugly, ruthless lock up your opponents. Stalin would be proud of them right now. And you just got to believe in America and the American people that somehow they'll just put an end to all of this at the ballot box. Well, maybe we should take Fannie Willis's word for it, huh? What did she say last night? This is going to be fair and balanced and based on the facts. Take a look at this. I make decisions in this office based on the facts and the law. 
Um, the law is completely nonpartisan. That's how decisions are made in every case. I mean, uh, we could get her on perjury right there, I think, Dick, somehow. <laughs> well, I spoke to President Trump uh, this afternoon, and uh, I told him how much I admired him. I told him how much the American people admire him. I said, I don't think there's another human being on Earth who could have stood up under this storm and kept your integrity, kept your sense of proportion and gone in there and fought. And I said, I pray every day for your strength. It is inspiring. You know, you look at what he's going through and then you think about your own problems and uh, they're not nearly as big. And Mark, I think you've made this point before. Most people would, you know, one bad thing happens to you at work. You lose the night's sleep. You get worried. You get nervous. This guy is not built that way. Yeah, I can't believe that the shrewdest, smartest guy on earth can't beat this bird brain bubblehead. I mean, she's not exactly Clarence Darrow. I, I, you got to believe in Donald Trump. Yeah, I think it's all going to work out and it's going to be spectacular to watch. Folks, um, I mean, you can get the Trump's big 2024 comeback now. But, Dick, I think we know the ending. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. We're not going to win in the judicial system. We'll win in the political system. Because the one thing that is becoming clear is that there are two paths here, the judicial path and the electoral path. And the voters are not supporting this kind of kangaroo court or railroading of the president. They react against it. They vote for Trump in larger and larger numbers. And it's in the electoral system that we need to have our faith, not in some judicial maneuvering. All right. Well, it's a fascinating time to be alive. It really is. Uh, I think we're going to be OK. I think he is going to be great. But... It's wild. Thank you both very much. Mark Simone Thanks. and uh, Dick Morris. We'll be right back. Thank you. It's true. I am an America first, liberty loving Latino. That's why I know this country is worth fighting for. That's why the Chris Salcedo Show will always tell you the truth. The Chris Salcedo Show for the news you need to know railroaded. That is what's happening to Donald Trump. And what does that actually mean? You hear it all the time. To force something to happen or force someone to do something, especially quickly or unfairly. I wonder what the origin was. You know, how did that actually come about? Maybe tomorrow. And where are we? What's the count right now? <laughs> Donald Trump accused of 91 felonies. <laughs> he lost money in office compared to all these other politicians. And those two Sorry, criminals, zero felonies so far. How many millions from China, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Romania, zero felonies? We'll see. We'll see about that. And I'll see you tomorrow night. Thank you.